0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in St. Luke's Gospel. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day, O Lord, for your Son Jesus, the Word, made flesh, who came to dwell among us. And Lord, we have to admit that some of the things we find Him doing among us are surprising and confusing to us. And yet, Lord, all that Jesus does is for our good. And so we pray this day that as we hear your Word, Uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, Amen. Today's reading from the Gospel is full of people who are both confused and amazed by Jesus. Just think of the the confusion of Joseph and Mary when after being in uh, the temple area, being in Jerusalem, they leave and they don't know where Jesus is and they're confused. They don't know where he could have gone and they search for him for three days. They are confused and quite frankly, they're frightened because they don't know where their son is. Or think about the religious leaders who are conversing with Jesus while he stayed back in Jerusalem in the temple area. There Jesus talks to them and he questions them and he gives them answers to their own questions and they are amazed by this 12-year-old boy's knowledge and wisdom. Or Think of the confusion of Joseph and Mary again when they come and they find Jesus there in the temple area talking with these people and they're furious with him. They're frustrated and Mary says, Jesus, how could you do this to us? And then Jesus gives them this very confusing answer when he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Or I I like some of the older translations that say it this way. Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? text tells us Mary and Joseph looked at Jesus and it says, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They were confused. They were amazed. But as I read this passage today and all of this confusing and amazing stuff is going on, I gotta tell you, there's one section here that we kind of tend to roll over, but the more I think about it, the more confusing and amazing it becomes to me. And it's the next verse that comes up in the passage when it says this After they've had this conversation, Luke tells us, and he, that is Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And later, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, that last verse is really confusing, especially for those of us who have been confessing the creed our whole lives and we are saying all the time that we believe that Jesus Christ is in fact God in flesh. And here it says that he grew in wisdom? Isn't God all-knowing? The big word we like for that one is omniscient. Isn't God omniscient, all-knowing? Doesn't he know everything? How could he grow in wisdom? Or how could he, I mean, just think about this, grow in stature. God grew up. God got bigger in the flesh of Jesus Christ. That's a weird thing to think about. But if we really want to confuse ourselves and be kind of amazed, think about this. It says that Jesus submitted to his parents. Jesus was submissive, the Son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Word who was with God and was God in the beginning, by whom and for whom all things were made, Lord of heaven and earth and all of creation, submitted? That's very confusing. That's quite frankly amazing. I mean, maybe I think right now I'm at a point in my life where I think this is amazing because what we're reading about here is a child who is submitting to his parents and I have three kids and the whole concept of children submitting is just, it's just a pipe dream uh, to me. A miracle beyond belief, you know. I mean, it's not as confusing for me or amazing to me to see this section where Joseph and Mary lose Jesus. That actually makes a ton of sense to me. Every parent knows what this is like to have that moment where you have lost your child and you can't find them, like you're at the mall or Disneyland and you don't know where they went. This one time happened to us in our own home when we had first moved to Valley Center. We still had boxes and stuff everywhere and we were just moving into the house and We were trying to uh, go somewhere. I forget where we wanted to go. But we were gathering up the kids. And we had Sophie and we had Mark. And we couldn't find Timmy. And we couldn't find him anywhere. We looked everywhere. We were yelling his name out at the top of our lungs. We started running out the door. We looked throughout the neighborhood. We didn't know our neighbors. So we got real nervous. Like we didn't know where he was until finally someone walked in the living room. Where, by the way, we had checked already. We walked in the living room and found him on the couch. He had buried himself in piles of pillows that nobody could see him underneath, and he had been fast asleep for like an hour. He was just knocked out, exhausted from all the moving and stuff going on. So so we found him, but we understood, you know, Mary and Joseph's fear, and not knowing what had happened to their son. We totally understand Mary and Joseph. Their response to us today is not confusing. In fact, we even kind of joined them a little bit in wanting to rebuke Jesus, you know. How dare he do that to him? Being God, couldn't he have had you know just a little bit of decency to tell him that he was going to stick around in Jerusalem and stay behind? But as we read the passage, we are quickly reminded, of course, that Jesus is in fact God in flesh, and that his Father is actually God the Father, not Joseph as such, and that Jesus is not lost. He is not in the wrong here. As much as we want to rebuke him for being like the kid who runs off at Disneyland, as much as we want to get upset with him for his little rebellion, you've got to ask yourself, what is Jesus' rebellion? Sticking around for some more Sunday school? Like, this is, not, this is nothing we can be upset with Jesus about. He's right where we should expect to find Jesus. In the temple of God. In the house of his Father. I mean, the more you think about it, it's not surprising at all that Jesus is in the temple That's right where he should be. What's surprising is that Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of creation, leaves the temple and goes home with Joseph and Mary and submits to them. The Lord Jesus submits. And I mean, that doesn't make any sense to us because if there's one thing we know in our world it's that people with positions of power, people with authority, they don't submit. Submission is for the weak. Submission is for the victims. Submission is for the loser. Submission is a word that we despise in our culture. You think I'm wrong on that? Just try talking to a bride to be in marriage counseling that perhaps she should use Ephesians 5 in their wedding ceremony which says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, Yeah, It's not real popular all the time. Never mind the fact that the text actually calls the husband to lay down his life and die for his bride as Christ has done for the church. We just don't want to use that word submit. We refuse to submit. This is why children rebel against parents. This is why employees plot and grumble against their bosses. This is why citizens rebel against their governments because we don't want anyone else to be in charge of our lives. We don't want to submit to some outer force, some higher power. No, we want to be the higher power. We want to be the Lord of our lives. Good gracious, we're living in a time now where we refuse to submit not just to authorities, but to the the very... Fabric of the way God created the world. I mean, we will not submit to things like the way God's designed marriage to work. We won't even submit now in our culture you know, to the way God designed our bodies and our genders. No, don't submit to your body. Follow your heart and your feelings and your emotions. Don't submit. It's not who we are. We are not a weak submitting people. But Jesus was submissive to them. And we're angry to find him there. Jesus, who was God of Joseph and Mary, submitted to sonship beneath them. Jesus, the second person of the triune God through whom the sky and the sea were created, did the chores that Joseph laid out for him. The one who, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is the one uncreated, eternal, infinite, almighty God, did the dishes before He went to bed on time. Jesus, whose whose Father's house is in Jerusalem, is in Joseph and Mary's home, obeying the fourth commandment, honoring His father and mother. In other words, Jesus, who is God, is fully human in every way. Only submitting without sin. Without sin. It's really amazing and a bit confusing and really quite wonderful. Contemplating such works of Christ is one of the great joys, at least for me uh, during the Christmas season, to think about this, how the Lord takes all these things that are so mundane and ordinary and He makes them extraordinary things like like, like birth or children obeying their parents, these things that they're just kind of everyday for us. This is where we find the Lord at work. He takes roles not only that are just mundane, but roles that we find so frustrating, like submitting to our authorities or our parents or our government or whatever. These positions that we despise and we think that are beneath us, well, they're not apparently beneath Christ. Because no matter how low we think they are, we find Jesus always going lower, being even underneath them. Perhaps we should be ashamed of ourselves for thinking that we should not ever submit to a low position. But that's where we find our Lord. But you have to wonder why. Why does Jesus do this? Why? not stay in his father's house in Jerusalem, you know, among the holy things, and be honored there and revered by the priests and the teachers of the law. I mean, it's wonderful that he grew in favor with God and man, but why couldn't he grow in favor with God and man, you know, before like Herod or or the chief priests or even before Caesar? Why do this in nowhere Nazareth with Mary and, and Joseph and the neighbors? Well, I think a couple of things are worth thinking about here. First, Jesus does this, most certainly, as an example for you and for me. After all, you and I have been given jobs, responsibilities. The, the big theology word we like to use for this is, is vocations. We're called by God in those vocations to honor him and to love our neighbors. And Paul says it this way in Ephesians, that we are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is, to to look to those ten commandments that God has given to us and to recognize that that those laws, no matter how menial or humbling they may seem, were not beneath Christ. He obeyed them and He fulfilled them. He submitted to them. So therefore, it's not beneath you. It's not beneath you to love and serve and honor in the same way as it was for Christ. Or be it for us to place ourselves above our Lord think that we know better the second reason i think that jesus did this and this is probably worth thinking about and i think it's a little more to our point today the second reason we find jesus doing this is so that he might be able to save us listen to what saint paul says in the book of galatians he says when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law submitting to the law In order to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is to say Jesus came under the law. He submitted to the law so that he might redeem those who are bound and condemned by the law. Jesus came and he kept the law perfectly. He submitted to his parents. He obeyed God's commandments. Loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving his neighbor as himself. He didn't exercise the rightful authority that he had over them. But rather, he laid that power aside to serve. Remember, Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And he's preaching that to you. He came to give his life as a ransom for you to redeem you who are condemned under the law. Jesus submitted to the law but not only keeping its commandments, but also by dying under its condemnation. And because he perfectly obeyed the law, he could offer his life as a sacrifice, a perfect, sinless sacrifice for you that is pleasing to God. For you and me, who don't submit to God's will. He humbled himself. Not just by obeying his parents, but by, by being crucified on their behalf. By being crucified on your behalf. The author of life submitting his life to the condemnation of the law that you and I deserved, and Dying as a sacrifice for your sins. That's what we find Jesus doing. And do you see then how much the Lord Jesus has done to save you? He has submitted to parents. He has placed himself under the law. He died on a cross all to save you. Does that confuse you does that amaze you but i wonder what else were you looking for him to do after all your salvation your redemption that's that's what jesus came to do because that is his father's business amen let's pray father we give you thanks for the redemption we have in your son jesus christ We thank you, O Lord, that he submitted to the law on our behalf, fulfilling its precepts for us and dying beneath its condemnations in our place. We ask you, Father, that not only would we receive this salvation from you through faith, but Lord, that this faith would activate us in love so we too might serve and love those you have placed in our lives. We ask your Holy Spirit to help us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.